How about that? Yeah, there we go. All right. Amen. Amen. But praise the Lord for our band. Amen. And thank you so much. Brought us right up to this moment and this time and really brought us to the throne room of heaven, I feel like, and time of worship. And uh, as telling Angie, we were coming to church this morning, that when I, when I, we plan for someone else to be here on Sunday morning to preach, during the week, it's nice, you know, I don't have to preach on Sunday, but on Sunday morning when I get here, I don't get to preach on Sunday, so I miss that, and, uh, but we are in for a real treat this day, as we have uh, Dr. Kevin Ezell with us today, and uh, I'm real honored to introduce him to you. He is the president of the North American Mission Board. He became the, uh, the president about six years ago while I was still serving as a trustee, and uh, had the privilege of casting a vote uh, for him to, to be the new president there. And have been just grateful to God for all that he has done through this man at the North American Mission Board. By way of introduction, he's going to introduce some of his family to you today. But I just want to tell you just a little bit real quick about him. What I've learned about Kevin uh, over the past six years. Uh, he's a lot of fun, as you'll find out here in a few minutes as well, to, to listen to him uh, share. But, but more importantly, he has a great love for folks. He has a love for his family. Uh, he has a love for the church. He, is, he has a pastor's heart. Uh, he has a love for our convention, but more importantly, he has a love for Jesus Christ. And that's the most important thing we can say about anyone. Amen? And so if you would, please give a very warm welcome to Dr. Kevin Ezell. Thanks. Thanks, You're very, you're very kind. Thank you so much for allowing me to be here. And Joey, thank you so much for the invitation. And, and uh, I know you know this already, although he's just been here just a little over a year. But I get to go from Maine to New Mexico, to Cal- from California to Florida, and see a lot of churches and a lot of pastors. And, and you are blessed with one of the finest pastors in all of North America. And so I'm very thankful for that. He's one of those. Uh, he's one of those guys that's just disgustingly nice. You know what I mean? And I would say, well, actually, I've, I've known Joy just shy of ten years, and uh, uh, Robbie was on the pastor search committee, and was the one assigned to check out uh, some references, and I happened to be one of Joey's references, and and so I was trying to be fun when it when Robbie called. Robbie's been very serious, and you know, right just right down the list, and. Uh, and he said, well, look, is there any, kind of, any particular challenge that you know of or anything we should be concerned about? And I said, well, you know, and I thought I'd be funny. And uh, I said, uh, there is. I said, there is one you need to be care- careful. I said, uh, look, he cusses when he gets drunk. <laughs> I wouldn't anticipate Robbie's like, do what? And I went, no, 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 please, please, I'm just joking, all right? It's just... Please, I'm just joking. It was a joke, a joke. So, but hey, it's such an honor uh, to be here. We're going to be in Mark chapter 2, verse 1 through uh, about 12, verse 12 or 13. And uh, I will get there in just a second. If it's okay, though, I'd like to introduce my family uh, to you just real quick. They weren't able to come because there's so many of us. But uh, I'll, I'll run through them real fast. That's my wife on the, to the right of me, Lynette. We've been married for over 31 years. And uh, we have six kids and two son-in-laws. We'll skip the son-in-laws, but let me introduce the kids, all right? <laughs> On the far right is uh, our oldest daughter and her husband. They were just in China for two years as missionaries. And on the far left is our second oldest daughter, uh, Shelly, and her husband. 
And they, he's actually in finance, and they live pretty close to us there in Atlanta. And then our oldest son is the tall one in the back. He's a sophomore at California Baptist University out in Los Angeles. And we're very, very thankful for him. And then God bless us with a whole second phase of children, if you will. Uh, the first child we adopted was uh, Libby. She's in the front left. She's from China. We adopted her when she was one, and she's now 15. And uh, she's a, an angel on this earth. She's a sweetheart. And then the second child we adopted was, was uh, Micah Lynn. She's on the front row, far right. She's from Ethiopia. And uh, she's a pistol. You know, normally, uh, if you ever watch, uh, you ever watch Sanford and Son? You ever watch that show? Well, we adopted Aunt Esther. All right? I, I tell folks, she, she, she takes nothing from my boys. I mean, she will put them in her place. Matter of fact, when we moved to Atlanta, she went to our neighbor's house and put her hand on her hip and says, uh, you have issues. And, uh, and they were like, do what? And she said, your house is a mess. You have issues. So we were like, oh, my word. So we set her down and said, look, sweetheart, we're trying to make friends, and you're not helping, all right? So she is a, one, she is a sweetheart. She really uh, fills up a room. And then J.M. is right above my wife there, John Michael. He's from, uh, he goes by J.M. Uh, he's from the Philippines. And we adopted J.M. when he was 12, and he's now 18. And uh, he's, a, he's, he's something else. I'll tell you a few stories about him in a second. It's real funny, though. When people see our family, when we walk into a restaurant, it's always hilarious because they're like, how did that happen? You know? <laughs> we have six kids from four different countries. And uh, they'll normally in the South, they'll go, well, bless your heart. And I know what that always means. That means better you than me. That's what that means. But I say, there's no need to bless my heart. I'm just very competitive. Um, uh, now, what I mean is we have six kids from four different countries. When we watch the Olympics, we win. All right? <laughs> it was interesting. When I went to Manila to pick up JM, they said, now, be very careful with him because he's not used to some of the same luxuries that you're used to in the States. I went, luxuries? What do you mean? They said, well, like hot water. He's not used to hot water. Water, we, we don't have that in the orphanage. There is hot water in Manila, I realize that, but not in his orphanage. He basically took sink baths. And they said he'll, he'll harm himself, so make sure he understands hot water. So can you imagine the very first night they found J.M. wandering the streets when he was five, picking up plastic bottles. They, they put him in the, the uh, orphanage from five until he was 12. Can you imagine the very first night after seven years in an orphanage being in a hotel for the very first time ever? So I'm letting him bounce on the beds and doing those different things and and uh, uh, it came time for a bath time. And I said, hey, Jim, come here. I want to show you something. And I said, uh, look, we're gonna, you're going to time for bath time. I'm going to go in there, and, and, uh, and you need to take a bath. But let me, let me show you something. So I turned on the water lukewarm. And then I took his hand, and I put it under the lukewarm water. And then I just gradually, gradually turned the water warmer and warmer and warmer until he began to feel hot water for the very first time. Can you imagine feeling hot water for the very first time? His eyes got big, and he's like, that is wonderful. And I said, it is wonderful. You're going to love it. I said, now, you hop in the shower. And he said, shower? What's a shower? And I forgot. They had taught him some English, but not, some things didn't translate because they didn't have a shower. And so have you ever explained a shower to someone? That's not the easiest thing to do. You know, it's like water from heaven. You know, I was trying to explain to him. Some things you just forget. This is like the first time we went out to eat. The first time we went out to eat, I ordered for him. 
I said, just bring him some chicken fingers. Yeah. So I, he's like, no, I not eat chicken fingers. I said, no, 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 they're, they're not chicken fingers. That's just what they call them. Just dip them in barbecue sauce. It'll be okay. And you can imagine the first time we had buffalo wings. I mean, it's just, you know, every night there's an international conflict at our house. But I'll never forget the, 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 the uh, first time when he took that shower, 45 minutes later, he comes out smelling good, shriveled up, all in his matchy pajamas, and uh, loving life. He loved it. Why? Because he wasn't used to hot water. He, 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 he'd never had it before. We are basically spoiled. I began to think that night, like, how many 12-year-olds would be that excited about hot water? Not many. I mean, you, it's like, hey, so what? You know, you're sitting here on padded pews. You're spoiled. We're spoiled. Would you not agree? We're spoiled. And they even say, like, even when it comes to hot water, when we were spoiled. Hey, Robbie, I'll go back to you. I'm picking you again because you look like the cleanest one in that section. All right? But, uh, but Robbie, tell me, Robbie, tell me, you've taken a shower in the last two days? All right. Well, tell me, let me just be straight up honest. Um, when you, and hot water hits you, did you go like, yes, hot water? Did you do that? Didn't do that. You see, folks, Robbie, he's what's wrong with America, all right? <laughs> I mean, that's... Now, brother, of all people, you need to hear this, all right? But no, my, the fact is, not just Robbie, but most of us didn't think twice about hot water today. And you're not really thinking probably about if you're going to eat in a moment. You're just thinking about what you're going to eat. My point is, you're spoiled. We all are spoiled. And when it comes to churches, we're spoiled. I'm at the North American Mission Board, and one of the things, the primary things we do at North American Mission Board is plant churches. Our goal is to plant 1,200 churches a year. That's 100 a month. That means every Sunday when you gather to worship, you're part of an SBC family that's planting. That day, we're launching 20 to 25 churches every Sunday. That's why when you give to missions uh, through the cooperative program, when you give to the Annie Armstrong uh, East Offering, we're, we're planting 25 churches every Sunday. Just like years ago, back in 1968, when your church was launched, became an official church, we're doing that 25 times every Sunday. We have to. There's an incredible need. Why? Um, because well, the majority of churches in America are in the South. All right? The majority are in the SEC and the ACC. It's the other conferences that are going to hell. All right? <laughs> I want you to show you something real quick. Now, I'm just joking, so don't get upset. All right? If anybody gets upset or anything, just it, it, email me. Don't email Pastor. All right? So, he's too nice. Um, in Mississippi, it's the most church state in all of North America. There is one Southern Baptist church for every 1,392 people. Now, Missy, I'll just say, you need a church for every, an evangelical church for every 2,000 people, an evangelical church. This is just the SBC number. If you say, okay, what about Virginia? Well, in Virginia, there's one for every 4,200. So there's still places in Virginia that desperately need, a lot toward Washington, and need a church, more churches. And you remember in Acts chapter 13, the church at Antioch? If you look at verse 3, it says, And they sent them off, Barnabas and Saul, to do what? To plant 
churches and those missionary journeys, they went there to plant churches. They went back and checked on those things, but they wanted to plant churches. They knew that was the very best way to reach um, the nations as they knew them at that time. Well, Virginia is 4,200. We plant churches all over North America, but especially around larger cities because 85% of the population of North America live in and around major cities. So in New York, it's this. It's one for every 58,000. In New Jersey, it's one for every 64,000. But in Canada, in Canada, it's one for every 103,000 people. Did you know in Canada, in Canada, you can drive for three hours, three hours, and not drive by another evangelical church? There's incredible need. So what I mean when you're spoiled, it's not like it is here everywhere. Not everybody has this opportunity on a Sunday. Not here. It is here. And be grateful that you have it. Be thankful for the pastor you have and the church you have. But we're not Mount Pleasant's all over North America. It's just not the case. There's desperate need for churches. And that's why we're thankful to be able to partner with churches like yours to plant that many churches every Sunday. That's why there is a need. In Mark chapter 2, um, verse 1 through, and I said we'll go back through verse 12. There's a great story here. And today I want you to understand something, all right? When you leave here, my hope is that you understand this, that you are to be on mission, all right? Can you say it with me, just on mission? You're to be what? On mission. Not everyone's called to be a missionary to leave and go to uh, a, a particular country somewhere or even to go and plant a church somewhere, but we're all to be on mission. God has called all of us to be on mission to make a difference where we are planted. God has a purpose for you and it's to do more than draw breath and draw a salary. It's to make a difference. He put you in the school he put you in, the neighborhood he put you in, the job he put you in for the potential impact and influence you can have for him. Not there just to provide for your family. All right? What a terrible way to live if you're just living to draw breath and draw a salary, take care of your family. Because one of these days you're going to climb a certain ladder, you're going to die. We're going to have a funeral. Brother Joey, I know him. He's going to round up and make you sound as good as possible. And then they're going to go home, eat potato salad, and life moves on. In your office, they're going to take all your junk down. They're going to repaint it and put somebody else's junk in there. That's just how it works. My dad died three years ago. And when, uh, when he did, I just want to go out in the streets and say, look, my dad just died. Everybody stop. But they didn't. world kept moving. And as callous as that may sound, I'm telling you, God put you here for more than just climbing some ladder, more than just drawing a breath existing and trying to, more than just providing for your family. It's to be on mission for him. And we must be tenacious and very intentional about it. Mark chapter 2, I want to run through the story. You perhaps have heard it before, but I want to look at it in a way that hopefully help you see the importance of us to do whatever it takes. Um, to get the gospel to the ends of the earth. Let's begin reading verse 1. You ready? Here we go. And again, he entered Capernaum after some days, and it was heard that he was in the house, he being Jesus, of course. Immediately, many gathered together so that there was no room to receive them, not even near the door. And he preached the word to them. They were jam-packed in there. Overflow was overflowing, and he was preaching the word to them. And then they came to him, bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. Verse 4, and when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. 
So when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now remember that part, I'm going to come back to it. But when Jesus saw whose faith? He saw the, the, the guys who were carrying the paralytic. He saw the four men. He saw their faith and he decided to heal the paralytic. Okay, he saw their faith and he healed him. Now we'll come back to it. And some of the scribes were sitting there reasoning in their hearts. I get a kick out of that passage because um, obviously Jesus is doing something spectacular here. And you got some scribes sitting there with their arms folded, thinking to themselves. It's what that passage is saying. They're thinking to themselves, who's this guy? He's blaspheming. It's always going to have people like that. Anytime God does something incredible, you're always going to have people that are going to be somewhat negative, if you will. All right, Every church I pastored, I had people like that. It just seemed like they thought their spiritual gift was the gift of criticism. You know what I mean? I just wanted to, I always wanted to sometimes point at them and say, hey, stand up, brother, and share your, your word of criticism. I can tell you it's on your heart. But that's, they were there sitting there thinking to themselves. And then notice, why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And Jesus is like, yeah, you're right. That's my whole point here. Jesus understood what they were thinking. He had the gift to know what they were thinking. I personally am glad I don't know what you're thinking right now, all right? I don't want to know. Jesus did, and he says, hey, hey, fellas, um, why do you reason about these things in your heart? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk. But that you may know. That the Son of Man has the power on earth to forgive sins. He said, look, what's, what's it matter? I have the authority. I am the Son of God. I have the authority on this earth to forgive sins. This physical healing is not that big a deal. It's not. I'm going to heal him, but it's not that big. The most important thing is spiritually that he, his sins are forgiven, not that his body is healed. Because eventually the guy, he was healed, but eventually he died. But spiritually, he had that for everlasting, everlasting. That's what he was trying to get across here. So he says uh, to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, take up your bed and go to your house. Immediately he rose, took up the bed and went out in the presence of them all so that they all were amazed and glorified God saying, help me finish this out. You ready? We. Okay. We're going to do it again. All right. We gotta have a little bit more vigor, a little more, <clears throat> a little umph in that baby. Ready? Here we go. We never saw anything. There you go. Now that's what I'm talking about. Now this is one of my favorite phrases. I'm a Kentucky fan. Okay, and we say this after every touchdown during football season. We've never seen anything like this before. You know, this is crazy. Can you imagine leaving church every Sunday and saying, we've never seen anything like this before? I've been there, had good services, but never seen anything like this before. Here's what I want you to do. Mark, I love the gospel of Mark. Why? Because I'm convinced Mark has an attention disorder. Now, if you read all the gospels, you agree with me because Mark just doesn't do details. He flies at 30,000 feet. If you want details in the gospel, you got to go to Matthew, Dr. Luke, or John, but not Mark. Mark's at 30,000 feet. Now, I love that. I like not knowing the details. My wife gets so frustrated at me, she'll say, hey, did so-and-so have a baby? I'll say, yeah, they had a baby. Boy or girl? This is a baby. All right? (laughs) What else do you need to know? As a baby. 
I don't know how much it weighs. I don't know all that stuff. It's a baby, okay? I just do up there. Well, that's how Mark does the story. But there's some other things to the story that obviously took place that he just didn't write down for, an, for a reason. But I want us to go back and think through the story. So, let's, you find it? What, what, what's happening? It says, Jesus in the house in verse 1. It's packed, because, and he's preaching the word to them. But meantime, meanwhile, on the other side of town, there's at least one guy, at least one, that gets the idea of, hey, you know what? My friend, and I'm sure he doesn't call him the paralytic, he calls him by name. It's Mark calls him the paralytic because Mark doesn't do details. And so he says, hey, my friend, he calls him by name. I've heard what Jesus has done in other cities. I've heard that Jesus heals people. I heard Jesus changes people's lives. And look, if we could get my friend to Jesus, Jesus could change his life. Hey, you in? Yeah, I'm in. How about you? You? Yeah. And they got at least four of them we see in Scripture. And so the four of them decided to meet at a certain time, a certain place. You know what I love about these guys? They, they meet at a certain time, a certain place, and they go by, and they pick him up and take him to Jesus because there was no way possible he was going to get to Jesus unless they took him there. I mean, I love the fact that these guys love their friend enough to be inconvenienced on his behalf. So often, we just don't want to be inconvenienced. You don't want any sacrifice of time, any sacrifice of service, but these guys are willing to do it. All right, so they go, they pick him up, and here they come. Here they enter the story in verse 3, and Mark says, here comes a paralytic carried by four men. They get there, and the place is jam-packed. They can't get in. Now, I get a kick out of this because Mark, not doing details, he says, so they, they take him to the roof, they dig a hole in the roof, they lower him to Jesus, and Jesus heals him. I mean, Mark acts like this happens every Sunday. You know, like song in the bulletin, song, song, special music, dig hole in roof, sermon. I mean, it's, no, 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 Mark. I mean, there's more to it than that. He gets there. They can't, they can't uh, find a seat. These guys perhaps even look in there and say, look, I know these people. They're not giving up their seat. So, I mean, what are we going to do? So, I'm sure that they huddled. They had to huddle and come up with an idea. So, the four of them huddle. They say, okay, fellas, what are we going to do? It's packed in there. I mean, we, can, we, we brought him here. I mean, what do you think? Hey, did you know the psychologists say that one out of every four people tend to be negative? Did you know that? Now, do not point, okay? That's totally, not, that's not needful. But one out of four, I'm sure one of these guys was probably negative, kind of like an Eeyore. Do you know people like an Eeyore? They, they round down, it's not a pretty day. You know, it's like, I knew this wasn't a good idea, or we should have come to the early service. You know what I mean? They, they, I'm sure that, that, that one, at least one guy was negative. But we do know. We don't know the details because that's just not how Mark rolls. But we do know that at least one said, hey, 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 hey. Got an idea. Got an idea. You're going to think I'm crazy. But here's what we're going to do. What we're going to do is... We're going to take him, and we're going to put him on the roof. I can't help but think the paralytic at that moment <laughs> propped himself up and said, Do what? Have I not got enough problems? No, now just hear me out. What we're going to do is we're going to put you up on the roof, and we're going to kind of guess what we think Jesus is. And then that's what they did. And then they got down and they dug a hole. 
And then they lowered him down. And remember what I said. Mark said that Jesus saw their faith and decided to heal him. Did you catch these guys' names? You didn't because they're not named. It's kind of like the widow's might. You don't know. There's just four guys. They're just four guys, but I love these guys. You know, you don't know their names, but you know the heartbeat and the theme of their heart. And the heartbeat and the theme of their heart is whatever it takes. They're willing to go get him and take him there. They got there, small road bump, no room, not a problem. We're going to do whatever it takes. And they get him on the roof. They dig a hole in the roof. And Can you imagine next Sunday if Brother Joey is preaching through his sermon halfway through 30 minutes in. <laughs> That's all I'm going to tell you. Today, this sermon will not be as good, but it won't be as long. All right? So I can... <laughs> Halfway through his sermon, awesome dust begins to fall. Some more dust begins to fall. I don't know about you, but if a hand comes through that roof, I'm watching it. All right? I love these guys because... Look, if you own a business, you want these guys working for you. If you're a coach, you want these guys, you want these guys on your team. Why? Because it's whatever it takes. That's what we're going to do. Whatever it takes, that's what we're going to do. It's not just what we've done before. I can only imagine one of those four guys when they said, hey, let's put him up on the roof. I'm sure one said, but we've never done it that way before. You know what I mean? It's just not a problem. Boys, we're going to do whatever it takes. I'm sure the first hand that came through that, I'm sure someone said, ah, it's, the, it's the youth department. I know. <laughs> always blame the youth. That's always the default. But I love these guys, whatever it takes. We have to be that passionate and that intentional. God puts you where he puts you for a purpose. It's to make a difference. Put you there to do more than draw a breath and draw a salary. Listen, don't just go through life kind of rope-a-doping it. Just, just, just going from day to day, from month to month, year to year, just doing your deal, providing for your family. and enjoy. That's great that you do all that, but I'm telling you, God placed you here for more than that to make a difference every last one of us. That's why he gave his son on a cross so that we could have a relationship with him. And But once we had that relationship with him, he saved us. Not just to sit and to soak, but to serve. I was in Cuba recently, and um, this was before Castro died. And uh, is there anything about interesting thing about uh, Cuba? Did you know that you own the majority of the Baptist churches in Cuba? Did you know you do? You do. You know why I know that? It's because the deeds to those churches are in the vault at the North American Mission Board. There's uh, the largest church in Cuba. It's Calvary, right in downtown Havana, right by the capital. And a, a lady by the name of Annie Armstrong um, bought that church and turned it. In, that that it was a theater and turned it into a church. And now it's the largest church. That's where they have the Cuba Baptist Convention at. It's where I was at. All these pastors. And it was spectacular. And so we have also a seminary. There was a school there to train pastors in Cuba that you own. 
I know that because the deed to it is in the vault at the North American Mission Board. The reason we have the, the deeds is because they were afraid if the, if the government uh, had access to, if they had the deeds, then the government would take them away. But because we had them, they wouldn't mess with them. So I go back there to assure the guys all the time, the pastors, you can, anytime you want these, you're welcome to have them. And uh, we have a great relationship with them. But it was interesting, I talked to one pastor and I said, look, tell me about what God's doing here. And he said, God has started a church planting movement in Cuba. I said, well, tell me about it. And I'll never forget with just tears in his eyes how he began to uh, share. He said, you know, back during the, the, uh, uh, the takeover and all, it was terrible. And, and Castro came out and said, no more churches. No more church. That's the best Castro I can do. No more churches. He says, you, you, no more churches. You can't even add a bathroom on a church. And then what are we to do? People can't fit. He said, well, you can meet in your homes. So began to meet in their homes, and so much so they just jam people in their homes. And his thought was, you know what, I'll spread these people out and get rid of them. And so he came out with this edict, and he says, all right, no more than 50. They said, what do you mean? It was a quota. No more than 50. Once you get to 50, uh, you have to go in, into another home. Maximum you can have in one house is 50. I go, okay. And so that's what they did. But the exact opposite happened of what he had hoped for. He was wanting to spread them out. And because they could only have 50 and they had to start another one, then they began to grow like mad. And then he came out, it really frustrated him. He came out and said, no more than 25. When you get to 25, that's the max. Then you have to go somewhere else. Still trying to spread them out. He said, when he did that, God used what he meant for evil. God used that to start a church planning movement. He said God used a communist leader to start a church planning movement. It's just incredible to see what has happened now. I told him, this is back when Castro was living, I said, you know, if God ever lets me pastor again, I'm going to do everything I can to get Castro to be my minister of education. Because it'd take a communist leader to get some Sunday school classes to multiply. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know what I love about that story? Is that God knows no limits. He's not, he's not limited by boundaries, by people. He'll work through you or he'll work around you. Say anything about your church? He'll work through your church. Or he'll use somebody else to do it. You're not guaranteed that. That's why you know, I'm thankful that you're here and hopefully you're a member of this church. If not, we'll give you opportunity to do that today. And I encourage you to come back. If it's your first time, please come back when the real guy's here, okay? I mean, you're going to, don't let this be the reason that you don't come back. But God desires for us to have our hands to the plow. And to move forward and to be on mission. As a member here, you're in a very dangerous position. Is it dangerous? Yeah. Because you have a missions-minded church. You have a missions-minded pastor. And sometimes you can be belong to a missions-minded church with a missions-minded pastor. And you're around missions so much that you think you're on mission when you're really not. You're just around it. I told you I'm a big, big sports fan and... My wife, uh, she watches sports with me, not to watch the game, just to watch me watch the game. Because I, I sometimes forget that I'm not the coach. And I'm trying to straighten out the ref or motivate the players. 
And she told me not long ago, she said, you do realize you're not on the team, right? (laughs) Well, sometimes uh, we can come to a church and feel like that we're on the team but not really be on the team. We're just around it. When is the last time God used you to do something that you could not explain? You see, typically, we live in a pretty safe world. We like, to be, we like to play it safe. We like to do things and attempt things we know we can achieve. We set goals we know that we can make. And so often we serve within a box. We serve and th- we do things we know we can do. When God often calls us to do things that we can't. You see, when God calls you to do something that you don't feel capable of doing and then it's pulled off, who gets the glory? He does. Because there's no way you could have pulled that off. That's why when I pastored, people say, you know, I just don't know if, if I'm capable of doing that. I said, perfect. You're the perfect one. If you don't feel capable, I don't want you to just do what you feel capable of. God calls us to do things. He specializes in taking ordinary people and doing extraordinary things through them. Listen, when it comes to serving, we're not to serve in just the ways that we feel comfortable and just give the time we have left to him, just give the resources and money we have left to him. When is the last time that you gave to the Lord and you actually sacrificed in doing it? When's the last time you gave and you did without something in order to do that? When is the last time? We're just typically not like these four guys that are willing to do whatever it takes. They're willing to be inconvenienced. I just pray today that you see that you are to be on mission to do whatever it takes. When I went to pick up J.M., when I went to pick up J.M., um, and he took that first shower. I was putting him to bed. He hugged me really tight. He said, I love you, Dad. And I said, I love you too, buddy. And uh, then he did something really kind of awkward. Um, it's our first night together. He took his hands, and he pushed in on my cheeks like this. And it was really different. And I'm thinking, man, I wish I'd have paid more attention at the orientation, you know? Like, <laughs> like, is this a cultural thing, you know? You're supposed to do it back to him or what? And he squeezed a little bit harder, and I could tell he's got the big brown Filipino eyes. They're beautiful. And he, he, uh, he looked right in my eyes, and he said, I'll never forget it. I will be a good son for you. I said, well, yeah, my heart just melted. I said, well... I'm going to be a good dad for you. I promise. And you go to, you go to bed. Next morning, four in the morning. His face is right here. He's like, good morning, dad. I was like, whoa. In case you did not know, bad breath is universal. All right? So, you know. I said, uh, what, what's, uh, what's wrong, buddy? He goes, I'll be a good son for you today. I said, well, good. Now, I'm why don't you go on back to bed, all right? You say four in the morning. You know what's amazing? At their orphanage, every kid got up at four o'clock. They did chores from four to five. They had breakfast from five to 5.30, and they went to school at six. I mean, that was their, that was their schedule. Robbie, what time did you get up, man? That's what I thought. You see? 
Robbie is what's wrong with America. All right, he's right here. Guy's pathetic. Um, it's amazing, too. If you're considering adoption, just so you know, my, all of our kids came very disciplined, but don't let that scare you or anything. As soon as they spend a few months around your biological children, they'll become just as lazy as they are, all right? So it's not a problem. You can get over that, that obstacle. But then at night, same thing. I'll be a good son for you. The next morning, same thing, same thing. And he did it for three or four days in a row until finally I had to set him down because I realized what he was saying is, I'm going to be as good as I can be today so that I can be in this family as long as I can be. And so I said, look, Jamie, you need to understand something. You are a part of our forever family. You're always going to be a part of our family. And whether you're good or bad, and we prefer good, but you're always going to be a part of our family. So it's not about how good you are today. God puts you in our family, and you're always going to be a part of our family. He says, okay, Dad. And and so, and really, in a couple of weeks, he stopped doing that, but it took him a while. But I couldn't help but think that night when I went to bed, I thought, you know, what would it, it's like, it's kind of like we are with our Heavenly Father. Man, we are saved by the grace of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. It's not about our effort. It's what Christ did on the cross for us. He shed his blood on the cross for us. Our sins are forgiven because of what he did. And because of that, we have everlasting life. We have an everlasting family that we're a part of, his No one can pluck us out of his hand. But he saved us for a purpose. As you read the whole scripture, you see that he saves us so that we can serve him. We're saved not to sit and soak. We're saved to serve. And I thought, man, what would it be like if every church, every believer in every church we have that attitude J.M. had that morning. If we look at our Heavenly Father every morning or every evening and say, Today, I want to please you. Today, I'm going to be a good son for you today. I'm going to be a good daughter for you today. Because you put me here for a purpose. I want to accomplish that purpose. And today, I am yours. Use me. I want to be a good son for you today. God put you here for a purpose. And I pray you don't live your life and not reach the purpose that God has for you. There's an old evangelist, Gypsy Smith, that used to preach a sermon. And he'd say, when asked about how do you start revival, he said, actually, it's very simple. He said, all you do is you go into a room all by yourself, all by yourself, all by yourself. You get a piece of chalk, a piece of chalk, a piece of chalk. You take that piece of chalk and you draw a circle on the floor. And then you get down on your knees in that circle and pray that God would start a revival in that circle. And his point was, it starts with you. Everybody has their ideas about how to fix the world, how to fix our country, how to fix our church, how to fix their family, how to fix their kids, how to fix their parents. But honestly, we've got to draw a circle, get down on our knees, and pray that God do something really special in that circle. I want us to bow our heads. If you're here today and you do not know Christ, Pastor Joey and 
staff and some counselors will be down front and would love to talk with you about how to take that very next step. If today you realize, man, I don't know for certain I'm going to heaven when I die, then we want to invite you to do that. When we start singing the invitation here in a moment, man, I just want to encourage you to step out, come and take him by the hand and let him know, hey, I'd like to ask Jesus in my heart today. You may be here and you don't have a church home, a church family. You, you, you're really just kind of orbiting I'm telling you, you need to have a family in which you belong to, to be a part of. And I just want to encourage you today to take a step and connect with this family. It may be today that you just want to pray. and You just want to come and say, in a sense, symbolically, draw your circle and say, God, I don't know what it is, but, but I'm not taking the most of, making the most of every opportunity. I want to be on mission. I want to do whatever it takes. And God, just show me what that is. It may just want to come and pray and just do that, whatever it is. Father, thank you for how you love us, you care for us, you know everything about us. And thank you for including us in your plan. Lord, help us to be faithful, faithful to the task before us. May we do whatever it takes to be on mission for you. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to invite you to stand with me if you would. What we call an invitation. Team's going to sing. As they sing, you step out and respond as God leads you to do. Right now, would you do that? Right now.